Okay. So intro question to talk about with your neighbor. If you, you've heard fairy tales, right? Heard fairy tales, or you've, you've at least seen Disney movies. Okay, we've all seen this. If you could go back and change any fairy tale that you wanted, what would you change? If Disney did a what if series, okay, what would you pick? What would you want to see? Talk about that for about one minute and then we'll get going. Talk. About 10 more seconds, 10 more seconds. Okay, come back to me. Normally at this time, I'd like to field questions, but you guys just got to come, come up to me at the, end, at the halftime, and I'd like to hear some of it. So I'll just, I'll just hear some of the ones that I thought of while preparing for this. You know, like, what if, what if Sleeping Beauty was the one that saved Prince Charming? Hmm. Huh? What if, no, what if, what if, this is the opposite side, what if Snow White was actually the blandest in the land. That's interesting. Like, they, she came, they came, and then, like, the, the huntsman came, and it was like, ah. Like, really? Like, what if? What if? What if Shrek 3 never existed? That one's the worst. That one's the worst. What if? Here's what I'd like to see. What if, what if we got to see after, happily ever after? Yes. You know? Like, what if, what if we got to see the true love getting together and then getting old and getting fat? You know? <laughs> Prince Charming getting bald. You know? Like, come on. You never get to see that stuff. You never get to see it. Go ask Drew and Scott what Happily Ever After looks like. I'm sure they have a lot to say. Here's one that I'd like to see that pertains to tonight's topic. Is there such a thing as Happily Ever After without the whole true love thing? And that's a good question. 
Because every fairy tale that you hear, every Hallmark movie you see, every rom-com always gives you true love happily ever after. You don't see contented singleness. It doesn't sell. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're talking about happily ever after. Is it capable for single people? Our culture doesn't believe so. Before we even get into the questions, I would like to just lay a groundwork for singleness. It's just so each of us are on the same page. First thing, God's plan begins and ends with you single. I don't know if you know that. Like, the first part's pretty easy. You're born single. Duh. I don't know if there's like some crazy arranged marriages happening, but you're born single. But did you know that in heaven, Jesus says that you're neither going to be married nor given in marriage, that you will be single for eternity, and that the single life that you're supposed to, like, it's going to be living whole before God for the rest of your life. Most people don't know that. Most people, Americans especially, don't live that way. Second thing, what is singleness? Just a quick poll. Raise your hands in here if you're married. Okay, everyone look around. We got Scott in the back. Okay, raise your hands if you're not. You're single. Okay, biblically speaking, you're single. Just want to clear the air. Dating, engaged, anything in between, those are concepts foreign to the Bible. I'm not saying we're not going to honor those, but the Bible, everything that comes after that is talking about you. And so if you're wondering if that applies to you, this message coming from 1 Corinthians is about you. And singleness is a topic in the church that just doesn't get a lot of screen time. And so I'm going to ask that you listen in. Second thing about, about uh, third thing about singleness is it is incredible, incredible personal freedom. I've heard the metaphor that it's like a sports car compared to the big tour bus that is having a family and being married. Okay, you're just zipping around, going around curves, going to a concert on the weekend and coming back in a different state if you want. And then there's the family man that's having to, you know, trying to go all these things. They have freedom, but what do you do with that freedom? That's the question we're going to use tonight. Is there purpose in your singleness? Is there righteousness in your singleness, or are you choosing to make your singleness a trial period for marriage? And finally, it is a gift from God. That's what Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I wish... I wish you guys had the gift of singleness. I wish you had what I have, contented singleness. We hear that. We know that we're all single right now. And then we say, re-gift. Say, white elephant in here. Give it back. Take it away, Lord. I don't want this. But here's the question. Is it actually a gift? Is there something that we're off on that we can look differently? We struggle with this, guys. We struggle with this personally and culturally. Culturally, if you don't believe me, how many songs are there on contented singleness that you can listen to? The closest I got 
was Jason Derulo riding solo. <laughs> and that was a breakup. That was after a breakup. It's just not there. It just doesn't sell. Most, if not all of our lo- all of songs, are love songs. Most, if not all movies, are movies about true love. Our culture does not believe in this. Our culture is split between two definitions where you find meaning. One, and this is probably where most of our background comes from, is maybe the small town or the Midwest that defines meaning from family. It says, you do not have meaning, it's kind of the message, until you have found yourself within a family or you have started one of your own. It says that the message is to be whole is to be tied and to be starting your own family. That's on one side. And you can hear this, some of you guys can already expect this, when you go to Thanksgiving and they start asking questions about, where's that one girl, you know? Have you dated that one guy yet? To be whole is to be tied to family. The other side of the spectrum comes from the coast and comes from cities. And it says the opposite. It says, this life is all about you. Go seek out a career. Go seek out what you want. Go seek out pleasures. And then, after you've gotten your career all started and all the money you want, then you can treat marriage like icing on the cake. You know what I'm saying? Then it's icing on the cake. But it still kind of assumes that you're going to get married. Like a cake isn't really finished until it has icing on it. It just treats marriage selfishly as another thing that you do after career. Is there a a third option that Christianity provides us? Personally, like I said, no one wants this gift. Or very, very few of us want it long term. I doubt many of you have ever even considered this a viable option. Like, I I want to be single. I want to be single my entire life. Or, more likely, many of you have considered this an option. It's one of your deepest fears. Like, I, I think about being single, and I really, really don't want to. And if that's you tonight, can I just say, I understand It's hard, and I hope that the words of Paul give you peace and validate where you are. Because that's not what culture is telling you. But the Word of God is going to come alongside and say something new to you. Hear Paul's words. I'm going to start at the very end before we're about to jump into the text. Verse 40. You can actually go ahead and turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. Verse 40, Paul says this, But she is happier if she remains as she is, and that is single. She or he is happier if she remains as she is. What does Paul see that we don't? Is there such a thing as a happier ever after. That's what I want to know tonight. So turn to 1 Corinthians 7, and while you're turning there, I want to just remind you of the context of the argument. It's an argument Paul is making for you. Paul is arguing against Corinthian ascetics. 
So there's two sides of the Corinthian arguments. One side is like hypersexualized. That's making everything about sex, everything about your body, you can do what you want. They actually like worshipped it. They literally worshipped it. Okay? In America, we say, you know, you actually, I don't know, metaphorically worshipped it. Actually, they literally worshipped it back then. Okay? On the other side, we have the Corinthian ascetics that say, if you get married at all, you're like less spiritual. And Paul's like, okay, we're just going to put you to the side for tonight. Okay? Stop saying that married people are sinful. You're going to hear that a lot. Okay? Stop saying that married people are, are sinful. But while we're on the topic, I do have something to say. So if you haven't turned there, turn to 1 Corinthians 7, and then we'll hear Paul's arguments. There is three points that I'm going to point out as we go, and then we'll be going. So verse 25 says this. Now, about virgins, pause. Okay? When he says virgins, and later I'm going to say a fun word called eunuchs. Okay? You can just Wikipedia that part. Okay? You're in college. You can handle it. Okay? Be careful what shows up, by the way. Okay? When Paul says virgins, what he has in mind is single people, and he'll define it later. But I'm just going to read it for what it is so I don't get tongue-tied. Okay? Verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. He's not turning off the Holy Spirit. He's not turning off faithfulness. He's not turning off, like, inspiration. He's saying, the Lord didn't say anything on this. But because the Lord didn't say anything on this, and you're in the middle of a debate, I'm going to speak on this. And here's what he says. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. There you go. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. First argument. Because of the present distress. What is that? That's led some people to question, is Corinth, is Corinth like in the middle of a crisis? Where they have like shortages of like jobs, of no jobs? No. Okay? There's nothing in history or in the letters of Paul to the Corinthians that shows this level of persecution. Now, there's not, you can read that in. Anywhere in the New Testament that you want to go to, like, my goodness, go read Acts, go read Revelation. It's all there. But Corinth was actually doing really well. So what does Paul mean when he says that Corinth, to Corinth, because of the present distress? Like, what's so distressful to Paul? I think what he has in mind is what's called, this fancy word, the eschaton. What he has in mind is that Jesus Christ, I don't know if this is new to anyone here, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and descended to the the right hand of the Father and is coming again. And he says that we are supposed to live in light of the coming kingdom and glory of the Father, of of the Jesus' return. And you're supposed to be so taken up by that glory. And he's like, I don't know if the present distress of Jesus' return is weighing on you enough. It's not just job and career. It's like, do you know what we're living in? We're living in the new age. Heaven has come upon us, and it's going to come upon us in full. 
And why do I think that's his first argument? Because, verse 29, this is what I mean. It's kind of nice when he says that. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Pause. Okay? It's easy to misread that one and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay? Just like to take my ring off? Okay, no. First of all, we had a sermon on that last week. Second of all, he's going to say later, a wife and a husband are bound. So just calm down. He's going to define. Don't jump ahead. Okay? I just felt like I should mention that. This is what I mean. Time is limited. From now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who did not, those who use the world as though they did not use full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away because of the coming kingdom and glory of God. That's his first argument. It's eschatological. The new age is coming upon us. So fix, so understand what you want. Okay? Second argument. I want you to be without concerns. Earlier he said, such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Quite simply, it's pastoral. It's like, I care about you guys. I don't want you to get into something that you haven't thought about. He's like, he didn't say this. I'll say this. Um, 45% of marriages fail. Divorce is very common. But Paul is not just thinking about the hardships of marriage. Paul is thinking about the hardships that just naturally come. And he wants you to think of what is going to happen if you tie yourself to another person and the hardships of life and faith come. Are you going to have to choose between family or faith? Because most people choose family. And then they wonder why their family walks away from faith. Because that's what they chose. Paul's argument is pastoral. We're going to keep moving for the sake of time. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried, man, the unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband, naturally so. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, third argument, but to promote what is proper, so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. It's eschatological, pastoral, and finally, it's argument from devotion. What are you going to choose? The coming kingdom of God is upon you. Are you going to choose to be Devoted to the Lord in all things. By the way, it's not like you have to opt out of that. If you get married, you still have to be devoted. Paul is saying, think through this before you make that decision. And I would prefer that you didn't have to be burdened more than you can bear. And this is what he goes on to say in 36. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, 
if she is getting beyond the usual, usual age for marriage, he, and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. There's that original argument. By the way, if anyone's dating, engaged, or whatever, just take a deep breath. Not a big deal. Okay? Not sinning, but this is single night, and so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> he can do what he wants. He is not singing. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiance, will do well. So then, he who marries his fiance does well, but he who does not marry will do better. Hard words, Paul. Trying to keep your girl on ice? What is that? Like, how do you interpret that? What's Paul's, what's Paul's drive here? The church, a little background for you if you care. The church for thousands of years interpreted that passage as Paul's warning to the father of the bride. Saying, by the way, everything that I just said, I want you to be careful. If you give your daughter away, there is going to be natural hardships that come. So think before you just give, you sign your daughter up for something that is going to be hard in life. Actually, contextually, I think this verse has it right. Whichever way you want to read it, I think this is right. Where Paul's words to a husband, saying, before you make this jump, if you make this jump or, before, or don't, he says, you're still doing well if you do it. Think through what you're doing. Because there are natural difficulties that are going to come. And I don't want you to just leap in, fall in love blindly, and then fall out of love blindly. Because life is hard. Paul's arguments all stay with you, regardless of which way you, cho- you choose. And you have to filter your life through them. And then finally, a wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants. Only in the Lord. But, and here's our verse. She is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And then a little flex, a little throw in, I guess. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. I like that last verse. It's for anyone that says, yeah, shut up, Paul. You know, he's writing, he's like, and by the way, in case you want to dismiss me, I, th- I believe I'm writing by the Spirit of God right now. So don't dismiss me. And American culture wants to dismiss him. Three arguments. Eschatological. The coming kingdom of God is weighing upon you. Choose wisely. Because the glory is there, whether, whichever way you choose. Pastoral. Paul cares deeply for the people. And finally, devotional. What are you going to choose? You have to be devoted to the Lord, Christian. This is part of what you signed up for in your baptism. That is his argument for singleness. But that still hasn't answered my question. And I want it answered. What does Paul believe when he says 
verse 40. Because we don't believe that. We don't believe when he says, happier. We don't believe when he says, it's a gift. Is there such a thing as a happier ever after? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. We'll take a quick break, and we'll jump back in. Amen. All right. Okay. Verse 40. Verse 40. She who remains single is happier. And I asked, is there a happier ever after that we don't see? And the question that we have for the second half, is there something that Paul sees that we don't? Is there something different, something so foreign to our culture that the fairy tale authors, the makers of the Hallmark movies, the music industry, they just, they don't write about it because it doesn't sell. Like, true love sells, dedicated singleness and monasticism just doesn't do it. It just doesn't bring in the box office. Is there something that Paul sees that we don't? And I'll be honest, it's not just Paul, it's, it's me too. You know, it's like, I have a hard time seeing this as well. All the movies that we watch from a young age, you know, it's like we all kind of expected that we would just have a marriage or we'd have, we'd have a significant other. I understand the hardships that come alongside of being single. I remember sitting in the chairs seven years ago. I remember sitting in those chairs seven years ago and hearing this text and wondering if that could be me. And then seven years later, I still hear this and I know what that gap is, is like. I know what that's like. And I just want to say that sometimes, sometimes I see the difficulty in believing this too. And I just want to know, what does Paul see that I don't? And the answer is this. Simply, Paul saw God. Like Paul saw God in the flesh. Not some abstract idea, not just something that's like in you, like, this, like, like an idea. Not like looking up in the skies and I wonder if God's in there, I wonder if God's fulfills me. No, he saw Jesus Christ that came down and walked among us. As a human being, he saw Jesus Christ content, whole, single. Think about this. The most significant man, the most significant person to ever walk the face of the earth had no significant other. Like, you can have significance without a significant other. You don't have to have another. And that's something that our culture doesn't tell you. But Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ changed the world. And he didn't need romantics. What did Paul see? He saw God. And Jesus' significance came 
from God and from God alone. Not from within him. From the love of God that filled him. Jesus Christ had purpose. And that's what I hope that you guys get tonight. Whether you choose the single route or you choose the married option or you choose the single route and then later you choose the married option, what I hope that you see as right now, as you are single, Jesus Christ's singleness had purpose. He was so caught up in coming to do the will of God He was so caught up in being loved by God and loving others that he didn't have time. He didn't need a romantic option. It wasn't on his mind. We don't need the Da Vinci Code coming and telling us that. It's not there. Jesus' purpose was to do the will of his Father in heaven. My question is, is that yours? Because that's what he's calling you to in your singleness. A singleness with purpose. And he also spoke on it. He actually did, although he didn't command. Paul wasn't lying to you. If you want, you can turn to Matthew 19, verse 11. I'll read it for you. Matthew 19. It actually mirrors our text tonight, which I think is kind of cool. He talks on divorce. And he says... It is not permitted to divorce unless for a case of, a, of adultery, sexual immorality. And then his disciples respond, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. And then Jesus says, not everyone can accept this saying, but only to those whom it is given. Jesus Christ, the whole Person, this most significant person, calling contented singleness a gift only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs, that's that word I told you was coming, who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made who have made themselves this way because of the kingdom of heaven, who have chosen the single life like our Apostle Paul because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept this should accept this. Tell me a Hallmark movie that told you that. That if you can live with contented singleness, you should. It might just go better for you because you can do the will of your Father more dedicated. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know which of you has the gift of contented singleness. I don't know if any of you want the gift or are trying to re-gift this option. I don't know. But listen to me. I know you can. I know that you can have it because it's not a one-time thing. It's something that you develop that you choose, and then you develop because God's grace works in you day after day after day. Just like marriage, you don't have the grace and the strength to be in a marriage. You just naturally have the virtue to be with this selfish person, you know, and you're a selfish person too. The same way, you do not have the strength to do the single option by yourself for the rest of your life. And God's not calling you to that. 
But you can, day in, day out, trusting in the Lord and trusting in the community of God. It's not wrong to want a partner. It's not even wrong to pray for a significant other. Sometimes the road to heaven can be lonely as hell sometimes. But I'm asking you tonight, right now, to use your singleness with a purpose. A purpose in service. We've talked about freedom. You have freedom more than anyone else, more than any time else in your life. What are you going to do with that freedom? Are you going to watch Netflix all day? Are you going to be self-centered with your freedom? Or are you going to use it for something else, for something greater, for a higher calling that God is calling you to, for the gospel and for God's will in your life? Young ladies, I'm going to be honest with you. Paul, in 1 Timothy, actually counsels young women to get married in the exact opposite of what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. And do you know why? Because those in 1 Timothy 5, in Timothy's context, weren't doing this. They weren't using their singleness with a purpose. They were using it for themselves. They were being selfish. He said they were going around and being gossips and just making themselves idle. And he says it would have been better if they would have just gotten married. I counsel them just to get married than just to use all their time for themselves. What are you using all of your freedom for? You have to use it for something other than yourself. Romans 12 says this, Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your worship. This is pleasing to God. Purpose and service. And then second point, purpose, your singleness has to have purpose in growth. You have to grow. You have to be seeking to become more than what we were, more than what you are now. You have to grow into the men and women of God that you were called to be, that you don't see now, but God is making you into if you trust His plan. If you hand over the parts of your life that are hidden, Young men, calling you to grow. And I just want to say this, and I want to say it like this. Grow up! Grow up! You can't spend all your time watching porn and playing video games and thinking that you're a man. God is calling you to manhood. It's not just having muscles and a mustache. You can't view life like it's Pleasure Island. You can't choose the easy road and think it'll go well for you. That's not virtue. That's not God's plan for you in life. That's not discipleship. So many of you are trapped in the same things that happened in middle school. You're trapped. 
And Galatians 5.1 said, it is for freedom that Christ has come to set you free. Freedom. Freedom. But you have to grow up. I don't want any young woman here to come up to me and ask if they can date you and me to have to say no. Not because of anything in your life, but because you're still a kid. Use your singleness with a purpose. Grow up. Grow a backbone, a spiritual backbone. Virtue lies in the day-in, day-out choices. That is what God is calling you to. That is what manhood is. And finally, use your singleness to develop an identity that is firmly in God. Guys, I know how lonely it can be. I know how it is. Some of you have been single your entire life and you hate it. You don't want it. You're scared that it'll be there for the rest of your life. I have friends who are single and they hate it. Let me tell you this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's the way I'm sorry. That's your feelings. But listen to me. It's 25 years old and still single. One, there's a lot of good and beauty and purpose and meaning and significance that's not in a relationship. But you have to use your singleness to develop an identity that's beyond in a relationship. Don't listen to the movies. Don't listen to the songs. Develop an identity that is in God just like Jesus Christ had and is offering it to you every day if you accept it. And develop an identity that is in the people of God because you're not lonely. Just because you don't have a significant other doesn't mean you have to be lonely for the rest of your life. I promise you. I promise you. Do you want to know what your happily ever after is? Your happier ever after is, I should say. It's one that's not about you. It's one that you forgot yourself in because you were growing and you were pouring yourself into service of God and others. You were so caught up in loving Jesus Christ and serving his people and his gospel and his mission that you forgot, you forgot that there was some sort of romance option that everyone else was telling me I was supposed to have. Because you don't have to have it. There is such a thing as a divine romance that the Christian saints have spoken about to be swept away in the love of God and in the people of God. There is such a thing as a divine romance. My final thought. In a culture where sex is the highest form of human expression, where romantic love is worshipped, and where family bonds bestow meaning, those who are engaged to the kingdom of God will find that they were not fools on the wedding day 
in the eyes of the coming king and bridegroom. And they lived happily ever after. Can I pray for you? Father God, I just want to confess that it's been on my heart for a while about what this talk would look like. And I want to confess that there's not even a close thing that I could... Lord, I know that I couldn't have talked about all the issues that have gone on that have been in people's hearts for years. So Holy Spirit, I hand this over to you. I ask that tonight was honoring to you and I ask that you would do the work making your word come alive to your people. It is in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.